0: Um, I've lost my preaching Bible that I preach all the sermons that I've preached for the past seven years. So if anyone finds a black Bible around, but I've pulled out this Bible and uh, this Bible was two years ago. We did a Bible marathon where over the course of two weeks uh, as a church, uh, heaps of people got involved and we read the whole Bible cover to cover and people just came and listened throughout the nights. And so this is the Bible that has literally been preached, read cover to cover, and the names of uh, all the people who are part of that are in this Bible. So I just saw that as I grabbed it and I thought, well, I'll use that tonight. I thought, wow, that is such a great reminder of something that was really special in the life of our church, but also about the power of God's Word. And when we did this series, uh, when we did this Bible reading marathon, we discovered Discover that something as unspectacular as just someone just reading the Scripture and just reading it for like five hours a night was unbelievably powerful and transformational in people's lives, just hearing the Word of God being preached. And uh, I share that with you because we're about to launch into a series on the Book of Romans, uh, which I'm excited about. I was expecting a cheer there. We're about to launch into a series on the... Hold on, you got the timing all wrong. Um... so we're about to launch into a series on the book of Romans. That's it. And the reason I'm, ex- I'm really excited to be preaching Romans, the reason I'm excited is because I, I genuinely believe that this book... <laughs> Someone else is excited too. Maybe was excited. Um, I genuinely believe that if you are part of this series... It could actually change your life. Um, I don't know what your answer is to this question, and I don't want you to call it out. What does the gospel mean to you? What does the gospel mean to you? Now, across this church, there'll be a range range of answers. Some people might say, well, I don't really know what the gospel is. Some people might say, yeah, the gospel, yeah, that, that means something to me. But there'll be other people who, when they hear that question, what does the gospel mean to me? if they were to start answering that question, they would struggle to do so because they would be so moved. It would involve telling of a story about how their life has been profoundly changed by the gospel. And I would say that's true of myself. And Romans, the book of Romans is just the most uh, brilliant, uh, expansive and amazing presentation of the gospel. Uh, Romans is, um, it's not like going for a, I don't know, like a, f- a hundred meter sprint. Romans is like engaging in a hike over several days where you're carrying your pack and you've got to hike. And at times, to be honest, Romans is pretty hard work. And there'll be sermons that uh, you go away going, well, that maybe wasn't even that. That was just felt like hard work tonight. But there's other times when Romans is so spectacular in its presentation of the gospel that uh, it's truly Um, mind-blowing and and transformation. Let me read to you some quotes of what some people, uh, famous Christians through history have said of Romans. I should have my clicker, but if you can click on. This is what Martin Luther said about Romans. He said, Romans is really the chief part of the New Testament and truly the purest gospel. It is worthy, not only that every Christian should know it word for word, by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the bread for the soul. So how are you going with that, guys? (laughs) There we go. That's that's incredible, isn't it? That's what Martin Luther, who of course started the whole Protestant Reformation and and restored people's understanding of the gospel at a time when it had largely been lost uh, throughout the whole of uh, Christianity. Um, That's what he said about Romans. Let's see the next one. Uh, John Calvin, another famous uh, reformer, he said, If we have gained a true understanding of this epistle, Romans, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture. And the final one. William Tyndale, who was uh, a Bible translator, translated the Bible into English and was one of the first to do that. I'm pretty sure he lost his life and was, uh, was martyred for doing that. He said this, Romans is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament and most pure gospel. The more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it is chewed, the pleasanter it is. And so this is like, uh, Romans is like when you know, if you have a really just a beautiful piece of steak, right? And you're just, you're just chewing on it. As you're chewing on it, the flavor is released and it's just so good. Romans is like that. For vegetarians, uh, there we go. (laughs) Okay. And, and, and for any vegetarians here, you could just imagine chewing on a beautiful piece of tofu. Okay. (laughs) Um, just, uh, just a delicious piece of tofu. And, um, we study Romans. Romans is, you know, the Bible actually says it. one part, it says, if we go to the next slide, it says, um, if we can go to the next one, <laughs> it says that, um, you know, in the, in the beginning when you're young, you should start on spiritual milk, like milk. You start like a baby. Baby starts on milk. But when you grow up, you need to move up to meat, right? You start with milk and then you move to meat. And so as you grow in your faith, you've got to be able to wrestle and, and go deep into the Word of God and wrestle with complex and difficult scriptures. And, and some of Romans is like that. So anyway, with all that said and done, let's read uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. And, uh, and then I'll pray and then we'll get into it. If you do have a Bible, and I highly recommend having a Bible open through this, it's, it's probably the best way. Um, so Romans chapter 1, 1 to 17. We receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, That I may uh, be mutually encouraged, uh, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let me pray. We'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I simply pray tonight that uh, I might uh, in some way uh, illuminate your word, that your spirit would would work to illuminate the magnificence of your word, that I might get out of the way and so that your truth and your gospel might be seen uh, as you speak by your spirit through your living word, the, the scriptures. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I don't know if you've ever um, uh, seen on the next slide, uh, uh, if you ever go to London, you, uh, you might see one of these driving around central London. It's a tour bus that you can get on and you can get off at different spots and you buy a ticket. And if you sit on that bus, in the space of about maybe two hours, you'll be taken all around London and you can see all the sights. You drive past Big Ben, you drive past... Um, Trafalgar Square and Piccadilly Circus and the House of Parliament and Buckingham Palace and you just drive all around and at the end of two hours you could say to yourself, well I've seen London, I can go home now. Um, but uh, after two hours you realise uh, what you've done is you've sort of seen a glimpse, a glimpse of uh, you've just got a taste and then you need to actually go back in uh, really a great detail to study um, Uh, to study London in detail and actually discover the depth of all the sites you've seen and all the detail and and, and, obviously you're going to gain a far greater appreciation if you do that than if you just do the bus tour only. So tonight this message is about setting the scene, right? It's about giving you the context, it's about making sure you understand the background so that as we go forward um, you will really understand where we're going. Okay, there's a saying, uh, which, says some, which says this, uh, a text without a context is nothing but a pretext for a proof text. All right, you can think about that when you get home tonight. Um, uh, but basically what that's saying is you've got to understand the context of Scripture. Otherwise you can use Scripture to basically make it say whatever you want and so i will be teaching here it's not so much a preaching thing it's perhaps not inspirational preaching tonight but hopefully i'm just setting a foundation upon which uh the rest of the series will be built but also something that whets your appetite for what is to come so even just in this passage if you treat it like the bus tour just on this passage i want to just simply read some of the words that we saw in the 17 verses at the start of romans because they are words that we're going to explain in detail as we go and i would just say that these words on their own are so incredibly powerful these are the words that stood out to me just from these 17 verses gospel grace the spirit promises love power this phrase righteousness of god faith Salvation, God, and Christ Jesus. They're pretty good words. They're all contained in this passage. And in fact, every one of those words is like a treasure chest that if we open it and start to explore what that word means, we'll discover great meaning and significance. So let me get into it. Let me start out by giving you a bit of background as the letter reveals the who, what, when, where, and why of the letter of Romans. So, what is Romans? Well, as I just said, Romans is a letter. It's a letter um, that was written by a person, uh, Paul, to a group of people. Uh, when he wrote it, he didn't think, I'm now going to write the Bible. He thought, I'm going to write a letter to a group of people. But uh, and, and when he wrote it, it's not as though his mind went blank and God took over and took control of his hand. He thought about it and he prepared it and he presented his argument and he used his intellect to do that. And yet somehow, as, uh, as time went by... Uh, People recognised that this had been divinely inspired, that somehow, as much as Paul was part of writing this, God was also part of writing this, and this was actually God's Word as much as it was Paul's words. This is a funny kind of thing that the, the Scripture is written by people, but actually becomes also, in a deeper sense, the Word of God, divinely inspired. And it's written at a point in history to a group of people. So to understand that, we need to understand the person who wrote it and the context, the timing, and to whom it was written. So the the first thing to say is it was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, just as a matter of interest, because often maybe it's possible for me to assume things, who here would say they, they know something of the Apostle Paul's testimony, his story? Put your hand up if you think you'd know the Apostle Paul's testimony. Okay, probably a half, two-thirds. So let me explain to you who the Apostle Paul was. The Apostle Paul uh, uh, sometimes happens in Scripture. He grew up being called Saul. Okay, his name was Saul, not Paul. And he was a Jewish uh, man. He was a Pharisee. And that's an interesting thing because if you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus spoke a lot to the Pharisees and said a lot about the Pharisees. He critiqued the Pharisees a lot. He criticized the Pharisees. The Pharisees, however, were very devout people. They were the Bible people of their day. They knew the Old Testament Scriptures back to front. They studied the Scriptures. They sought to obey the Scriptures. They sought to get other people to obey the Scriptures. They, And that sounds like a pretty good thing. But unfortunately, the Pharisees had largely become legalists. They obeyed the, the Scriptures in a way that was pretty unhelpful. Um, and they added rules to the rules and then added rules to those rules and it ended up being about following rules than about knowing God and when Paul uh, or Saul as he was uh, he he um, hit a point in time when essentially he got a calling on his life you could say it was his first calling or what he believed was his first calling you see there was this group of people who were calling themselves followers of the way they probably weren't even calling themselves Christians at that point. That was a name that came later. They will call themselves followers of the way. And they were followers of this guy called Jesus. And they were Jewish people. Uh, and some uh, at this time, some were also, uh, that this message was also going out and reaching the non-Jewish people, the Gentile people. But they were starting to believe and they were sharing this message. And they were going around telling people that about this Jesus. There was this guy called Jesus. And he was the son of God. And he was actually God who had come in human flesh. And then when he died, he died on a cross, and then he'd actually been raised from the dead to eternal life. And actually, not by following the rules, but by faith in this guy, you could receive uh, eternal life as a gift of grace. And the Apostle Paul, uh, I don't know, we don't know exactly how much of that message he'd come to know, but he'd come to know enough about these followers of Jesus that he hated them. He despised them. And he felt that his calling in life was to try to shut down this religion or this following before it ever became anything so he went around arresting christians he would literally rock up in gatherings that would mostly be they didn't have church buildings they'd be in people's homes he'd rock up with soldiers in people's homes and he would catch them doing bible study and and you know meeting together and he would drag them out And uh, you could just imagine that scene, he's dragging them out, there's small children there, they're screaming, there's maybe their wives there, they're probably just maybe dragging out mainly the men, maybe the women too, throwing them in prison. And then his real highlight was that there was a guy called Stephen and they uh, crowd gathered and Stephen was a Christian and they, they were so angry with him and because he was talking about Jesus that they were beginning to stone him to death. And it says that Saul was overseeing that and he stood there and he gave approval for the murder of Stephen. And then Saul is walking along the road one day and he's on the road to Damascus and he's on the road to Damascus because he wants to go and persecute and and try to um, arrest more Christians and he has a meeting with Jesus. He meets Jesus and in that moment, his life is changed forever. Jesus meets him and he hears the audible voice of Jesus saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And his life is changed. And he becomes in that moment, he goes from being a persecutor of Christians and is completely changed. And he becomes, uh, he just submits to the lordship of Jesus. And he says, well, Jesus, you're the Lord. I'm going to follow you now for for the rest of my life. He, within days, he starts going from the guy persecuting Christians to the guy wanting to tell people about Jesus. And believe me, the Christians to start with weren't too uh, pleased. They were a bit worried about this, right? Hey, Saul wants to come and meet with you to tell you about Jesus. They think it was a trick, right? But it wasn't. He was changed. Now, a skeptic in the room would say, oh, this story about Paul is probably not true. You know, he, he didn't meet Jesus on the road. That's, you know, as if that would happen, But if anyone's a skeptic and is here hearing this, you'd have to ask yourself the question, what happened on that road? That the man who was persecuting Christians is on the way to go and persecute more Christians and when he arrives in Damascus, he has changed forever and now becomes someone who will spend the rest of his life telling people that Jesus is Lord. Being willing to go into jail and ultimately be executed for his faith in Jesus. That's a pretty big turnaround. Something happened on that road. He met Jesus. So Paul is the writer of this letter. A man who persecuted Christians is the man who ends up writing the greatest proclamation of the gospel ever. That's how Jesus, that is how faith can change a person's life. That's the transformation of the gospel. And Paul starts out saying, uh, his starting words though... are um, are not paul the great apostle paul the great leader paul the great christian he just says paul a servant of christ jesus that's how he self-identifies paul a servant of christ jesus and i love that Uh, i think for any christian in a role of leadership those words need to speak to us paul a servant of christ jesus i hope that's all i am mark a servant of christ jesus not someone who thinks I've got power or position or privilege or whatever. Just mark a servant of Jesus. If I'm anything other than that or behave like I'm anything other than that, you can feel free to come and tell me that. And hopefully I'll have the grace to take that on board. Um, He's there to serve Jesus. That's his role. The word there is doulos. Uh, The word in Greek could also mean slave, a slave of Jesus. But this is not something forced upon him. This is his own choice. But he also states his authority. uh, Servant of Jesus and called to be an apostle. He says, i got a new calling now. I thought I had a calling, but I now got a different, opposite and better calling. My calling now is to be set apart for the gospel of God. That's who he is. And um, who's he writing to? Well, he's writing to uh, the Christians in Rome. He says in verse verse 8, if you go to that, firstly, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. And that's pretty cool. He's writing to these people in Rome and their faith is being reported all over the world. That would be a cool thing to be said about our church, not for our glory, but because God was doing such amazing things in our church that people would say, hey, yeah, he was Baptist. You know, we know about that in Timbuktu or wherever. I don't know. Um, Anyway... I'll move on. Um, let me tell you about Rome. Rome at this time is not a random, insignificant city. Rome is the centre of the world. Uh, these days, you could think about the greatest cities of the world—cities that are influential in terms of culture and power, and and economics, and all these kind of things. So, what you'd think of cities like New York, um, Beijing, maybe Tokyo. Uh, Adelaide, uh, <laughs> you know, just the great influences of world culture. Rome was uh, all of these things in one city, right? The, the Roman Empire dominated the world at this time, uh, which meant basically that from all around the, the, the Roman Empire, money and resources and wealth flowed into Rome and culture and influence and power flowed out of Rome, Okay. Rome was incredibly important and I think Paul probably knew that if he could influence, if he could, if the church in Rome was strong and influential, if the church grew in Rome, then the the influence of that is incredible, right? If you influence Rome, if you, if Rome becomes transformed by the gospel, then the whole world can be influenced by the gospel. Rome is very, very powerful. It's very dominant. It's the place where the, uh, the emperor lives. It's the place where there's the money, the wealth, and the power. And in that city, the church existed. But the church was very, very small. You might kind of have images, you think of Rome and the church now, if anyone's been to Rome. Rome is full of enormous churches that are like, you know, basically lined with gold. I mean, it's unbelievable. If anyone's, who's been to Rome? few quite a few people uh rome is incredible and you know you've got saint peter's basilica there which holds a hundred thousand people everything's carved out of marble gold-plated unbelievable uh there it is um and but the church is tiny the church in this great city is not like that the church exists as probably a small a few small house churches each house church may be between 20 and and 40 or 50 people, something like that. You know, 30 adults, a bunch of kids meeting together. That's what a church is in Rome. And there's probably a few of them scattered throughout the city. So it's this tiny, insignificant, uh, in many ways you would say powerless, uh, this group of people, this small group of people who have come to believe this message about the gospel, about Jesus, in the midst of this enormous city. And... um, and that's, that's what it is. But um, what an interesting thing to think of that actually, despite that, Christianity now is, is spread across the world and influences, you know, a billion followers of Jesus today. The Roman Empire, well, that died out not too long after Jesus. So this incredible empire that was powerful ceased to exist. But Christianity, which seems so insignificant, grew to have such impact on the world. So the church is small, and, um, but the church is strong in faith. Verse 8 says, yeah, their, their faith is being reported all across the world. And the fourth thing to note about them is uh, the church was made up mostly of Gentiles. So this is kind of important that, uh, that you understand. Um, Gentiles basically is everyone who is not Jewish. And so the church started out with... Uh, Christianity was just J- Jewish people for a while. The church started in Jerusalem... And it was only made up of Jewish people, and then what happened is persecution happened, and it spread, and it moved, started moving throughout the Roman Empire. And as it spread, they started to share the gospel beyond, um, like the Jewish kind of uh, uh, people group, and to Gentile people, and the gospel began to spread. And so part of the things that this letter will talk about are things that, that the questions you're not answering, but questions like, well, how can Gentiles actually be Christians? Like if they haven't grown up with the Old Testament and from that whole tradition, how can they be, you know, how can they be loved by God? And also if, if they are, then what place to, does, you know, Judaism and, the, and that religion have in Christianity? So there's some of the questions there get answered, particularly in Romans 9 to 11. Um, And Paul writes this around AD 55, right? So Jesus Jesus lived 33 years. This is approximately 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, and it was written by Paul when he was in Corinth. Okay, that's the understanding. He was in Corinth and he writes to the people in Rome. And he writes to people he doesn't know, okay? A lot of times when Paul writes a letter, he writes to a church that he founded And in the letter to the Corinthians is a classic example of this. He found it, he plants the church, then he moves after maybe a year or two of ministering there to another church, and then maybe a year later he finds out that there's lots of problems in that church, there's issues, and so he writes to address those issues. But Paul has never been to Rome. We see that because he says repeatedly, I've longed to come and see you, I've wanted to come to Rome. So because he hasn't been to Rome, um, because he's not responding to the issues going on there, he just presents the gospel and that's probably why in, in the book of romans we get this just almost pure presentation of the gospel rather than dealing with local issues okay it's so lots of information are you tracking with me are you good all right very good cool. I, you gave me the thumbs up i thought you were doing this no that's okay <laughs> I thought you're like maybe yeah. all right so what is this letter about well it's about the gospel paul a servant of christ jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. Verse 15, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel. And verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. They're words I'm going to come back to because they're very powerful words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, for those who have grown up in church, you'll probably know the answer to this question. What is the meaning what does gospel mean in two words? Good news. Good news. Gospel simply means good news. And yet the term good news misses clearly the full power of the gospel, right? Because we use good news for like, good news can mean very ordinary things. Like, like for me, you know, good news. The Crows won on Thursday night, right? Yeah, that was good news. Um, Good news, you know, tomorrow's going to be a sunny day. I, I don't know if it is, but just an example. Um, or you could say, I don't know, good news, good news, um, we've got some lights up at the back of the church, and I think they look nice. Um, and then you say, oh, yeah, and uh, good news, Jesus died for your sins, right? You just see the problem? It's, it's not quite capturing it. Gospel means good news, but it doesn't just mean good news. When it says good news, what it means is the sort of good news, uh, a, a proclamation like when the most incredibly significant events happen in the old times, there wasn't Instagram or Facebook to post on, there wasn't the TV, they would have a herald who would go out into the street, a guy whose job it was to go out into the centre of a city, into the main square and start proclaiming the good news, right? Hear the good news. And, and if there was incredibly great news, people would, would come out of their houses to hear the good news and would then start rejoicing. Perhaps the closest example that I can think of to this is, I don't know if you've seen the scenes when, when World War I and World War II finished in Adelaide. If, have people seen the pictures of what happened? People just streamed out into the city, right? King William Street was just packed with people absolutely filled with people they've heard the good news they're so excited because good news has come to them that they come out on the streets and they're just celebrating war is over people have been suffering people have been dying dying we've been in a battle but now war is over this is so good that is the kind of message that when we say gospel that's what good news actually means good news that is good news that changes our lives forever good news that is so good that is it is just so amazing so profound that it would want to take us out on the streets rejoicing and celebrating and just just you know high-fiving people and just tears in our eyes because it is so good that is what gospel means so if you hear it says it means good news yes it does but it means profoundly amazingly extraordinarily good news okay so it's good news and it's good news promised beforehand. Have a look at verse 2 there. The gospel he promised beforehand. If you're, uh, this message of Jesus didn't just pop out of history, right? Jesus didn't just sort of come along and say, Hey, everyone, um, I'm this guy called the Messiah. That's a title I give myself. And I'm God's son. And, you know, I've come to, to live and to die on a cross. And this, this story is not a story that just popped out of history. This is a story that was promised beforehand. Paul's saying here, because he was a Pharisee and he knew his scriptures back to front, that this gospel message was something that had been promised not just decades beforehand, but hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand. And you can go back and read the prophets, uh, like Isaiah particularly, and you will read about a message of Jesus that is right through the book of Isaiah that was written 700 years before Jesus was born. These are promises fulfilled in Jesus that were promised hundreds of years before his birth. In fact, you can go back thousands of years, right back to when Abraham gets a calling at the very start of the Bible, which is in, I think, chapter 12 of Genesis. And it says that I'm going to make you a nation and that through you, through this nation, all people on earth will be blessed. Everyone on earth is going to be blessed through this one small nation, the Jewish people. How is that going to ultimately happen? Through the birth of death and resurrection of jesus christ so this is promised beforehand don't ever think you know jesus just came along and lived a life and people thought he was amazing and made claims no there's a there's a history there that that the whole scripture is woven together so remarkably so something i discovered in bible college i I study the bible in bible college and it gets studied critically and you discover in that process it's just so incredible the way it all fits together So it's good news promised beforehand, and it's good news about who? About Jesus. And here's a mistake we make about the gospel. We think that the gospel sometimes is we put ourselves at the center of the gospel. We think that the gospel is about us. Now, don't be mistaken. The gospel is for us, the gospel is for you. But the gospel is not fundamentally or essentially about you, the gospel is about Jesus. Now, do we benefit from the gospel? Incredibly. We benefit from the gospel in a way that we benefit from nothing else. The gospel is the greatest gift. The gift of grace revealed in the gospel is the greatest gift. Eternal life, salvation, by faith, not by works, just by faith in Jesus. What a gift. But the gospel is about Jesus. Jesus is at the center of the gospel. It's his story, and he is not the means to the end. Right? Sometimes... uh, Uh, people um, think that that Jesus is the means to to an end i.e. I believe in Jesus and then I get to go to heaven and have eternal life so Jesus is sort of the means to get me to something which is like eternal life but actually Jesus is not the means to the end he's the beginning and the end Jesus is at the beginning and when you become a Christian Jesus is the journey The whole life is a journey with Jesus. And when you get to that journey and you die, eternity is with Jesus. And it's all about giving glory to Jesus. It's all about worshipping him, right? The gospel is so great, but it's not about primarily about a benefit to you and how God can make your life awesome. It is about that, but it's centrally about glory, giving glory to God and worshipping Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Does that make sense? I think that's exciting. But anyway, uh, hopefully it does for you too. All right, good news, that's for us. Uh, but it's good news about Jesus, but it's good news for us. It is the power of God, the power of God. There is power in the gospel. There is power to save. There is, pow- there is power to save you, if you're not saved. There is power to transform your life. There is power to heal. The Roman Empire, as I said, that looked like the greatest power ever, but that faded within a short time Of Jesus' death and resurrection, but Jesus and his message and his gospel continues to influence and change and transform lives today. It is the power of God that brings salvation. It brings eternal life. It brings salvation from sin. It brings salvation from death. Uh, It brings salvation from hopelessness. For who? For everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. It's the great leveler. For everyone who believes. Rich. Poor, old, young, male, female, no matter what race you are, it is the great leveler. For everyone who believes, salvation is possible in Jesus' name by faith. And we need a savior in this world. There are two absolutes in this life. There's a saying that says there's two things you can't avoid in this life. They are death and taxes, right? But I'm pretty sure some people find a way to avoid taxes, right? It seems to me, apparently Apple's avoiding taxes in Australia. Okay, so uh, you can avoid taxes. No one's avoiding death. No one's avoiding death, right? No one's avoiding death. Death is, is a reality for us and life is short. Therefore, this message about a salvation that brings eternal life beyond this life is a message of such incredible significance and important and this message is about a righteousness a right relationship with god that comes from god and it's revealed it's a righteousness that comes by faith from first to last for as it is written the righteous will live by faith um i wonder if we can have the band start to come up and Marcus, if you want to just play as we just finish this off i want to issue a couple of challenges to you as we close this out the first challenge is this to come on the journey uh, of Romans. And to try to actually be here and be part of this sermon series over the next, wait for it, I think it's 25 weeks, okay? You can't do Romans in a few weeks. To do Romans in 25 weeks, if you know Romans, is moving through it quickly, okay? Some people would do Romans in a year or two years or three years, okay? We're going to do it in 26, 26 weeks, I think it is, 25 weeks. Um, But I think we can still capture it in that time. So come on this journey. Uh, That's my encouragement. Secondly, each week I'm going to put out a passage of Scripture, uh, a couple of verses of Scripture that I want you to memorize. We've done this in the morning. I've kind of lost track of it and we're going to get back into it. But there's something powerful about memorizing the Word of God. I don't know how many verses of Scripture you know off by heart. Uh, who, Who would know more than five verses of scripture off by heart. Okay? Not too many. So here's the deal. This message is so powerful. When you know scripture by heart, it means you've got the Bible with you all the time, even when you don't have the Bible. It means you've got something in your mind and in your heart that's transformational that you you keep with you. And these words in Romans, like if from every chapter, every sermon preached, we can give you one or two verses to memorise, if you can hold on to some of them, that will be a lasting benefit to you. Okay. So the, um, the passage from uh, Romans 1 that I want us to, uh, to memorise is, uh, is this. For in... Uh... No, hold on, what is it? Romans 16 to 17, uh, which uh, let me close my eyes and see if I can do it for you. Okay, here we go. Uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God, for the salvation of everyone who believes. First, you've got it behind you, haven't you? You're checking whether I'm doing this right. I could, I could cheat. <laughs> for I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, for as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That's with me. That's with me every day. I didn't actually have to practice that. I know that off by heart. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, that those words are with me. And that's really the challenge I want to issue to you, is that question. The Apostle Paul who persecuted Christians who got saved on the road to Damascus by meeting Jesus and became one of the greatest uh, people who influenced Christianity ever. In fact, after Jesus, he's the most influential person in Christianity. He was insulted, mocked, taunted, beaten, imprisoned, And ultimately executed for his faith. Throughout that whole journey, his testimony was this: "I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel." When I was a a young adult, adult, when I was roughly your age, those of you who are, you know, uni age, when I was at uni, and I became a Christian for two or three years, I had a real struggle. My real struggle was that I was ashamed of the gospel. I had become uh, the like the I was part of the AFES, the on campus Christian group. I'd become the president of that group, and I hung out with those guys some of the time. And on the other time, I hung out with my people in my course, and no one in my course knew that I belonged to the Christian group or that I was even a Christian, let alone the president of that group. And I would sneak off at lunchtime to go and attend the Christian group meetings. Why? Because I was ashamed of the gospel. I had one occasion where I had some guys with me, right? And, and I said, oh, I'm just going to go off and do something. And they're like, oh, we've got nothing to do. We'll come with you. What are you doing? I said, I'm just going... I've just got something. They said, "Oh, that's all right. Well, I don't know. Whatever it is, we'll come with you." And I said, oh, no, nah, it's okay. You know, yeah, no, nah, don't worry. I wouldn't tell them what it was. I wouldn't even not. I wouldn't even invite them. I was not. I was uninviting them. <laughs> so it's like well, that's worse than you know. It's worse than not inviting people. It's to uninvite people who want to come." But something has changed for me through the course of my life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel anymore. Ever. There will be nothing that will happen in my life. I've been through ups and downs and challenges. I've seen, you know, I've seen Christian leaders who have um, made big mistakes. People I've looked up to who I've, I've then you know, seen them fail and morally fail. And that hasn't changed my faith in the gospel and in God. I've been through hard times. I've seen things that are unfair in the lives of loved ones. That doesn't change my faith in God and my love for Jesus and my passion for the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I couldn't care less now what anyone thought of me because I'm a Christian. And the reason I think that's happened it's partly, to be honest, because as you grow up, you just get a stronger sense of who you are. But I think a greater reason is because this gospel has just cut me to the heart. I believe in this gospel, and I believe it is so valuable and so important that I want people to know about Jesus, and I want people to know I'm a Christian. And if they think that's awesome, great. If they think I'm an idiot, if they misunderstand me, whatever. I'm just wanting to be about the gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel. What does the gospel mean to you? I asked at the start of this message. I I genuinely believe that this series, through the course of it, will change some people's lives. That you might reach the end and say, this gospel's got me. I'm sold out for the gospel. When I was at uni and I was part of the Christian group, one of the, past, the leaders there who'd been leading that for many years said to me this, this terrible thing. He said, do you know that around half of the people in this group won't be following Jesus in about 10 years' time? I thought, that can't be true. That can't be true. They're singing the songs. They're coming on the camps. We're all hanging out together. That can't be true. And then sadly, I saw that it was true. I saw that there were people who came along, sang the songs, went on the camps, had fun. I didn't realise this at the time. It was more of a social group for them than about the gospel. It was more than a, uh, it was something they were doing. It was something maybe they'd been in their heritage, something they'd got linked in through a friend, whatever. But it wasn't the gospel. The gospel hadn't really sunk deep. My prayer for you is that the gospel sinks deep through this series through the book of romans so come on the journey there'll be times when it's spectacular there'll be times when it's hard work there'll be times where the messages you just go that was pretty boring (laughs) they'll be the ones preached by other people Uh, (laughs) but uh but through it all uh i think you'll really gain an understanding of how great the gospel is let's pray together heavenly father thank you for the gospel, thank you for the way you met a bloke on the road to Damascus, a man named Saul. You changed his life, you changed his name, and you t- changed the course of human history because he went on to write the book of Romans and half the New Testament. And he taught us and he explained to us this incredible gospel, a message of grace, a message of hope, a message of life, a message of transformation. I pray. I pray for the lives and I pray for the soul of every single person in this room. Pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us. The, the words of the Scriptures were just soak deep over the coming weeks and months. You would bring deep transformation that changes their lives forever. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.